It is the Chicagoverse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists in industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black, welcome to Chicago. Dynasty Podcast, uh, we are live, and I am here this morning on a Thursday morning talking to Tiffany Walden and Morgan Elise Johnson, uh, old friends of the podcast, of course, both of them from the tribe, you know, co-founders, journalists at large, editors at large, like, how are both of you doing this morning? Thank you so much for taking time. Um, well, for me, I've been up pretty early since like 5 a.m. I don't know about you, but it's been difficult to get a good night's rest during this time. So I've been up for quite a while, but I've been looking forward to this conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tiffany, how are you doing? Yeah, um, pretty much the same. Like I've been up since about six, six thirty, and uh, just trying to get as much rest as I can. <laughs> I know. I mean, we don't have to list all the reasons it's a stressful time. Everybody's living it. Everybody knows. Um, and you know, for anybody who doesn't know, thetribe.com, and that's tribe with two eyes. The t r i i b e dot com. It's a phenomenal site covering you know stories. Uh, that affect Black Chicago and that affects Chicago at large. And the work that the tribe was doing before this moment we're in was important. How does it feel to be doing this kind of work now when obviously we are facing so much as a city and just, you know, even globally in general? Uh, for me, at least, um, there's a little bit of an adrenaline rush at all times um, because what I'm you know, in this moment, we want to make sure that we're documenting um, the the feelings and uh, the impact that everything that's going on is having on Black people in Chicago. So um, I'm always just kind of like, we have to do this, we have to do that. Um, and sometimes it could be an overwhelming feeling because I feel like we have to be doing so much at at one time. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm happy that the tribe exists in order to cover um, this particular moment and to have the perspective of Black people represented um, at this time. I would agree. I mean, this shocked our organization just like any other organization. For us, we were used to doing stories that had kind of like a longer shelf life and stories that, that weren't necessarily breaking news. And all of a sudden, we were, were faced with the challenge of getting urgent and like ever-changing information about COVID to Black people and trying to package it in a way that um, that would get through to people. I mean, when we first heard the news, we knew that um, this was going to be a challenge, particularly for Black people. Just anybody who knows history knows that. So we immediately felt the responsibility of how are we going to do our part to, to help save lives. And um, it was very overwhelming at first for us. And uh, just changing how we run on a day-to-day -day basis to get information out faster, uh, we actually ended up hiring people during this time, um, doing a heavy fundraising push because we knew that, you know, black media now is more important than ever. Yeah. And I mean, so let's break down just that alone, like, you know, moving into this moment and meeting this moment the way the tribe has, what 
you know, I guess what experience previously with, you know, running the site, producing this type of content, like how did you feel like you were prepared previously to then step it up and again, meet this moment and be able to produce the kind of stories you're telling now? I don't know that we were prepared. Um, we had just came, this is going back to February, Morgan um, toured with Pop-Up Magazine um, doing an opening. Um, it feels like so long ago. <laughs> yeah. Doing an opening um, speech for Google's commercial for Black History Month. So she was gone for most of the month and then All-Star Weekend happened and we were covering that. And then like, as soon as we sat down from those things, it was like COVID-19 is here, hi. Um, and so it was a little bit overwhelming and just uh, depressing in the beginning because it was like everything was just shutting down. At least for me, like when the NBA shut down, that's when I was like, oh, wow, this is real. Um, and so from there, it was just like constantly trying to figure out how to adapt to the news that was coming out every single day. Um, and we had to really take a step back where we can like figure out what to do because we weren't equipped to be a breaking news um, organization. I had that experience from previous work at the Orlando Sentinel, but we hadn't done that as the tribe. So um, we started doing the daily doses of like covering the press conferences and putting that information up on a page. Um, so if you go to the to the tribe.com, you'll see a coronavirus page that has the the updates from for coronavirus dating back to I think March 15th or something all the way down to today. Um, but then adding on top of that in May came the, um, the police killings of uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And there was another adrenaline rush and another sense of urgency to um, really capture that moment because this was really the time where it felt like a revolution was taking place. Um, and so we really just had to, I had to rely on like the ex experience I had in Orlando and like try to figure out how to um, organize our team in order to covered all the different facets of what was going on at one time. I mean, mentioning, you know, February, for example, you know, I was, when I was preparing for this interview last night, I was looking up the article that the tribe wrote about the house party. There was a house party on the West side, kind of like in the earlier days of COVID. And there was a, of course, a knee jerk reaction of just like, oh no, you ruined it for everybody. We were all doing so well. It's, back in the days when everyone was staying in their house, you know? But when I was putting the notes together, I typed out like a few months back and then I looked at the data, I was like, Jesus, that was that was a month ago. Like, it's amazing how long this year feels. Uh, but to me, I feel like that story in particular was one of the moments where I saw the tribe kind of like rise up and tell a different type of story than I was seeing presented on social media and other parts of the media. Talk about that story where you were interviewing people who are at this house party on the west side and getting perspective from them on why they were throwing a party when everybody else was still in the stage of like we have to stay home we can't see anybody yeah i remember when when tiffany hit me up with the idea of like this story is is hitting social media everywhere what can we do and i immediately was cautious i was like i don't even know what we can do to add to the story you know what can we do what is the impact that we want to have because what we don't want to do is just uh be judgy finger point at people and just continue to do this kind of like social shaming so um you know i i 
challenged her. I'm like, what can we do in terms of impact? Can we um, engage with with different parts of society and say like what happened here to where this group of people may not feel that sense of social responsibility? Um, is it a failure of the media? Is it a failure of the government? Is it a failure of the environment? Like what, what are all the factors that are at play here? And they were really able to take that and run with it and did the brilliant idea of actually interviewing people who went to the party instead of just pointing the finger and saying, look at how wrong they are, you know? That was yeah. the piece of the puzzle that was missing to me because um, I had seen the coverage over the weekend um, and I've seen all the social media posts. And I think that weekend I actually had went outside and, and, and had been up north and seen people gathering and things just as much as they're doing in other parts of the city. Um, so for me, the thing that stood out the most was the TMZ headline of there was a thousand people in this house. And I'm like, there's not a thousand people in any house <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been to house parties. That's not possible. So um, Veronica uh, really stepped in and like, you know, I told her that the story wouldn't work unless we found um, someone who went to the party. And by that point, we were like into the week. It might have been like Monday or Tuesday or something. And she, you know, hit the ground running and went to Facebook and found um Tink, who had posted the video that everyone was pulling the screen grabs and everything for, from. And um, Tink was reluctant to talk to us because so much media was finger pointing and blaming them for, um, or, or at least setting up the scene to blame them for the rise in, in COVID-19 numbers, which um, we, we saw too. And we still see today with the protests and everything, they're still setting this scene of like, if there's a climb, we can blame these people for this thing. Um, so and once all we- the people in Wrigleyville. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So, uh, take you know after after V talked to her and, and really uh, warmed her up, um, she spoke to us and we were really grateful for that. And, and she was completely honest in how she felt. And it it was a privilege check for the rest of us because we'd been covering the COVID nineteen um, daily press conferences every day, but not keeping in mind that everyone may not have access to these um, press conferences. They may not watch TV. Um, they may not have these channels. They may not be online, you know, so it wasn't hitting uh, certain populations in the same way that it hits journalists who are watching this stuff every day. So it, it, it checked us, too. Yeah. I mean, news literacy is a thing. Not everyone feels like they need to have a certain amount of news within their diet. And for millennials and younger, a lot of us don't even have you know, traditional cable. I mean, we can go months without ever seeing a TV news segment. And I know that's shocking for people, but I look at myself, I have Apple TV. I don't have to navigate to NBC. I may never see an NBC news segment, you know, unless I see it trending on social media. So we really have to think about not only what news is out there, but just how people consume information. And one of the things that we'll be working on, you know, with the tribe is making our information, you know, our news segments more accessible on YouTube, on Facebook, because at the end of the day, that's where people are getting their information. And it's, it's wild because I think yesterday on Twitter there was a conversation, you know, they, were, uh, they had the city council meeting yesterday um, and Mayor Lightfoot does a good job of live streaming it on her particular page. Um, but other than that, you know, it's not, it's not online, it's not accessible. And so someone from the Tribune uh, 
tweeted like I can't believe out of our population of this many people it was only like 600 people watching this live stream and people really went in on him because it's just like people don't have access to this stuff no one knows when the city council meetings happen it's not like a broadcast you know that this is happening right now this is going to happen tomorrow um you know they, they don't not to say that they don't want you to watch it but they want you to work to to know what's going on in city council and in city government so um, we have to get out of this mindset of I can't believe people aren't tuned in, into this stuff because where I mean how how do you find it how I would right. never find it. the press conferences a lot of times we find out about the press conferences a half an hour before they're even happening so how is that even a model to get information out to the public it's sometimes it's hard for us to even attend we have to drop everything we're doing to pay attention to what's going on city government that that press conference we got to alert about it 30 minutes before the press conference was to start at 8 30 and then it started late and then the curfew started at 9 p.m <laughs> so it's like how do you how do you even handle that amount of information in that short of time and how are people that are protests who phones may not work because phones tend not to work when you're in crowds like how do these people get access and, and information about a curfew within 10 minutes that they just found out that it's happening and then try to leave the whole area that where they've been shut down, which is a whole different story, but. <laughs> but yeah. Well, and there's so much I want to pick apart there. And I feel like we could do a whole separate 90 minute workshop just about like news literacy and, and how the media needs right. to, and government needs to meet people where they are. Like these broadcasts should be on TikTok, let's say, you know what I mean? If they want to reach young people, but, but we only have so much time and I know you're both busy. So let's talk about, you know, covering the, the mayor, the governor, because yeah, one of the things, I mean, along the lines of what you're saying, I'm glued to Twitter, but most people are not, you know, like we're all used to news literacy, but most people are not. So something I see and a lot of people are seeing is the Twitter coverage where you're live tweeting, you know, Pritzker or Lightfoot's conferences, talking about the protests, the, you know, obviously COVID, things like that. Talk about what, how you started approaching covering those conferences and what that has opened up for the tribe or what that's done? I think that came out of trying to figure out how to cover COVID-19 with um, with three of us. <laughs> you know, this was back in March when we finally came out of that week of like doom. It was like, okay, we have to do something. Um, and I think, I can't remember if Morgan came up with that or if I just got on Twitter, but it was like, you know, the, the fastest way to get information out to people was to do it through tweets. And, um, once I started doing that every day, people started engaging with it and people were asking questions and um, I figured out how to, and again, because this is, the, the tribe is really my first time covering city government and county and state government in Illinois. Like my experience has been in, in Florida, in Orlando. So it's two different beasts. In Florida, everything is pretty much open records and here it's like you have to dig to really get things. So I had to figure out how to get tuned in to the mayor's office in order to send in questions. It took me until maybe late April to figure out how to get tuned in to Pritzker's uh, press conferences to send in questions. And um, once people started sending in questions and, and really talking back to us on Twitter, that's when I, I, I felt like it was important to live tweet those um, sessions because a lot of times, one, people who are still working, are working from home and they can't sit and watch a, a, a press conference. Um, but also, sometimes that stuff is hard to digest if we're being real um sometimes it's hard for me to even digest so li like live tweeting it and getting people's feedback live to see you know what things stood out and what things 
they want to learn more about what became helpful for us, even when we were generating story ideas. Um, and it was our way of keeping people informed. Yeah, it's a, it was a effective way to take very heavy information and just like condense it into a bite-sized form um, because it's also mentally taxing to tune in. Like when Prisker was doing the conference, the, you know, the pressers every single day, it's very difficult mentally to keep, to keep on top of that for us and for the public. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, we're also burnt out on bad news and we're seeing some people responding to it by just, you know, I've started seeing the phrase post COVID a lot. And it's like, yo, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. This is, we're not post anything, but like, I think people are burnt out on news. You know, I think I'm, I'm pretty used to doom scrolling through Twitter at this point, but a, a lot of us were not intended to read 20 hours of bad news in a row, three months, like on, you know, without end, how are you both coping with just every single, you know, if tomorrow there were Cloverfield monster attacks, I'd be like, sure, of course, you know. Why not? <laughs> it's wild. It, the shift has been crazy. I was telling Morgan the other day, we went to a, through a phase where like when Trump was first in office, we were getting news every night. It was like breaking news every night around eight, nine o'clock. Now we've shifted to it's breaking news nonstop all day. Um, I don't know. It, 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 got, it got exhausting after a while. I think once the police killings started, it was just like, I have to turn this stuff off. Um, and so... I I just had to I just now I'm at the point where it's like seven eight o'clock I'm like not trying to look at anything anymore because um, it's just too much and it's too much on your mind at night when you're getting ready to go to sleep too and it, it, it's hard to sleep because you're constantly thinking about all that stuff and I'm I'm and for me it's like thinking about it and also being like what can I do like what story can I tell what story can we tell um, but yeah you have to take a step back because otherwise you'll be completely burnt out. Yeah, at the, at the beginning of all of this with COVID, um, we were so mentally distraught that I was like, what can we do to help us? And that's actually how we started doing um, morning meditations. We were just like, okay, let's engage with the healers because in whatever we do with the tribe, we try to be outreach oriented. We try to have a community impact. So we're like, if we're losing our minds and other people must be losing their minds. So let's engage with the healers. Let's engage with people who know some methods to help people, you know, just like deal with stress and anxiety. Um, because we're also learning about what makes us human. I mean, like the loss of human interaction affects us all you know like in especially just not being able to be around family um so that's all of a factor when i woke up this morning at five it wasn't just because i was up it's because i was actually having a breakdown i was crying one of the um when we started the tribe i did with this i did with the series another life um it was a like a mini documentary series and I realized last night that one of the characters who we follow, um, his name is Moon, um, he lost another friend, like another one of his best friends. And if you've seen that series, that whole series is about millennials who have lost a friend to gun violence. So now I learned last night that he lost like his other best friend to gun violence. And I don't know, I just woke up in the middle of the night like sobbing um, and like reached out to him. 
So it's the idea of like the multiple pandemics for black people that is just wiping out my mental capacity um, because there's a feeling of hopelessness. We are definitely in a state of privilege to be able to help craft narratives during this time because we know that people in power craft narratives and they can uh, erase any part of history, you know? So we sure. have to try to grab on to the moments that we can so that, you know, generations from now, people can look back at this period and see what black people went through, through our voices. But, you know, with it being summertime on top of that and knowing that black people are being murdered by gun violence, um, it's just another stressor. And we haven't quite figured out how to cover gun violence in a way that's productive. Another Life was something that engaged with people in conversations around grief and healing, but it's a series that I couldn't continue because of my own mental health and constantly interviewing people who were going through a grieving process. So it's a constant struggle for us that we're like constantly just trying to, to figure out. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is, you know, heavy stuff. And I promise the whole interview is not going to just be all heavy and, and depressing because God, we don't need more of that. But you know, yeah. some of the stories that have stood out in recent weeks, you know, these are more related to the protests, you know, a couple headlines from the tribe in response to attacks by Latinx gangs, black and brown people are uniting to protect black lives. Food drives around Chicago continue a tradition of revolutionaries feeding the community. Uh, Chicago police officers lounged, relaxed in Bobby Rush's burglarized Southside office as looting continued nearby. Uh, talk about, you know, covering these kind of stories, because obviously we were already dealing, you know, every day we're dealing with the pandemic of gun violence in Chicago, like we're talking about. And then COVID happens. And then all of a sudden we have the the protests in the wake of everything else that's happening, like you know, talk about covering the, you know, the protests and, and this era of the crisis that we're now in. It was important for me to tell the deeper story relating to the uprisings that's going on because um, being from the West side and I mean, and, and specifically from North Lawndale, like I grew up down the street from Madison to Pulaski, which was the epicenter for um, the 1968 uprisings. So growing up, I only heard the negatives of that particular incident, you know, the looting, Black people tore up their own neighborhoods, uh, you know, just, just you know, it was a, a very much a narrative of like Black people gone wild. But as I got older and started to um, read and research and figure out, you know, what exactly was going on, I learned that before 68, there was so much tension already in the West Side community. People were upset with their housing conditions. You know, there was redlining going on as there was these contracts, these terrible housing contracts that people had signed and they thought they owned their homes and they didn't. Um, our neighborhoods just were already in a state of disrepair and like, uh, and, and, and dilapidation. So that was kind of like the, the, the last straw at that moment for a lot of people too. And it was like, look, I'm taking back what y'all have taken from me. And so in this particular situation, I didn't want it to be another repeat of black people gone wild again, they're burning their own neighborhoods down. Cause we heard that same story with Ferguson, you know, it was very much mm -hmm. like, wow, you burn down your own hood. 
Um, so for for this situation, since we have the, the privilege of being able to tell um, our stories, it was very much about showing that like the food drive story, people, everybody got up and was like, what can I do? You know, maybe you're not a protester, maybe you're not this person, but I can get up and I can I can donate money, I can donate food, I can bring foods to Garfield Park and like pass it out. I can take food to Columbus Park and pass it out. Um, so that's inspiring and that comes from the the Black Panther mentality of like, you know, we have to take control of our own neighborhoods and like feed our own people. Um, the story about um, Bobby Rush and 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 the and the Southside campaign office that was just completely wild. But it's also this story of, that people had been saying of like the police are in our neighborhoods supposed to be protecting us, but they're not. Like you know, no one believes black people when they say, "Oh, well, I saw a police officer over here, but he just walked away." Or I heard a police officer say, "Let them burn it down or let them kill each other." You hear it on the scanner all the time if you sit and listen to the scanner. They're like, "Let them do whatever they want to do." The same thing with the. Um, with the story about the Latinx gangs. Like there were reports on Twitter um, and, and snap snippets of the audio, people just saying like, yeah, let them let them shoot each other, whatever. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's unfortunate that it took for Lightfoot or for Bobby Rush to get up and show some footage in order for Lightfoot to see that the police is like reckless. And it's unfortunate that the narrative around that whole situation was about popcorn because it was funny, but this is like real life and it happens every day and, and people are constantly crying and, and, um, and, and yelling out about the police and their uh, wrongdoings in the community. But that, that goes, that falls on the ears until it becomes, you know, a Bobby Rush or someone who in their eyes is a reputable person um, telling these same stories. So I hope that history shows that this particular uprising um, was not black people gone wild, you know, that it was people were literally being tired of um, the, the systemic oppression that they've been under for, for decades. And people want something done now. They want it done today, not these promises. I mean, the 68 was 50 some years ago and we still look, the neighborhood still looks the exact same. So we need these changes right now. We can't wait another 50 some years for these promises to come to fruition. Yeah. Um, something else that I, sorry, like I, I wasn't expecting the question to end so quickly or, or not quickly, but abruptly, but, uh, but yeah, so something else I wanted to ask, because obviously we are seeing that the stories, they need to be told a certain way. We need to see that representation where it, like you said, it's not just like reckless looting for the sake of looting. So based on everything you guys are seeing that you're reporting, and this is a big question, but what should Chicago be doing differently with regards to either or both crisis? You know, um, whether that's Chicago government, law enforcement, you know, the citizens of Chicago, like what would you want to see happen to start improving anything? Well, I think firstly, the city government should directly be engaging with the organizers on the ground. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about organizers or black people within city organizations who already have a contract. I'm talking about these young people who are day in and day out organizing, okay, and getting people to the streets and demanding, you know, freedom and abolition in various ways. I think it's quite irresponsible 
for the mayor to constantly be trying to reshape the narrative of the demands. The demands are the demands. They want to uh, defund and abolish the police and they have reasons why. And it's, and it's not just defund the police and do nothing, it's defund the police, take those resources and invest in community. Uh, we've been posing a question to the mayor um, time and time again around COVID-19 and how she was able to engage with every single industry, okay, to come together, to come towards a solution for COVID-19 because she actually saw it as a public health issue. So the question is, does she actually see gun violence and police brutality as a public health issue? And if she does, why can't she take those same measures that she took for COVID-19, that same creativity, and apply it to save Black lives all the time? If you can take care of homeless people during COVID-19, why can't it happen in, in general? Like, if you can figure out um, how to get people care and testing, why can't that always be happening? You know, like we need these creative solutions and the solution can't be centered on policing. You know, that is the very thing people are trying to to move away from. Yeah, well, along the same lines, like what would you hope to see done differently in other Chicago media? Because it can't just be up to the tribe to tell these kind of stories like, you know, you guys are not a mega newsroom you don't have a thousand people working for you so at some point there's stories that you're not going to be able to get to and you know you can't work 24 7 so for any other outlet in the city what would you hope to see them start doing um you know that they're not doing or maybe could be doing differently to better tell these kind of stories that are happening right now i for one would like to see them um take more initiative and not be so reactionary uh the big thing right now is we're capitalizing to be in black, we're capitalizing to be in brown, and that's supposed to be like some revolutionary um, effort that uh, these newsrooms are doing across the country and in Chicago. And it's like, why weren't you doing that before? You know, like, why does it take for um, someone to be killed by the police for us to see all of these different um, um, actions? uplifting the black community take place you know that's something that could have been in place years before um so for me i, I wish that that news outlets would see how their their newsrooms are set up and that they're set up in ways that does not benefit uh, underserved communities in general they're set up in ways that they don't reach these communities at all and figure out why that is and how to change that a lot of these newsrooms here are um predominantly white. And that's been an issue for a long time. And now it's like, oh, we're about, di about diversity and we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. Be about it and, and, and continue to do it. Don't just do it because we're in this moment. You know, at, bring more people to the table, bring different voices to the table. Um, you know, at the tribe, we're not just about hiring people who have um, some year, like some prestigious school background. Um, where they went to study journalism. Like, if you can tell stories, you can tell stories, period. And, and you should bring those people to the table um, and, and help shape them into, um, you know, reporters and journalists so that that perspective of those uh, neighborhoods and those, um, those communities are um, told. But at this point, um, 
people are only doing things to to appear that they are trying to change their newsrooms. And that's what I see when I see we're capitalizing to being black. It's like that's cool, but <laughs> what yeah. stories are you telling now? Yeah, it, it's like that that illustrated like little uh you know graphic on Twitter that I see all the time where it's like the hand is drowning and then the other hand comes in and just gives it five and then the other hand drowns like that's what a lot of things feel like these days I do want to say I do want to give um kudos to Chicago's um like digital and print media though I just feel like the reader the Chicago reporter Southside Weekly Black Club Shy, I think they're all doing a phenomenal job. And they fill in the gaps in ways that we could not, you know, a lot of times when we're deciding what stories to tell, we can't get to the like fast, super, super breaking news things, but we don't even worry because Black Club Shy is gonna have it up in like 0.2 seconds. And like, without a doubt, they always do. Um, I guess my critique is more for national news and TV news, because a lot of times they're looking at our stories, you know, of the people who are on the ground doing the work and um, taking those bits and making segments out of it and then reaching out to us and saying, hey, can we use this clip that you got at the protest? Well, why aren't you guys at the protest? And I don't just mean hovering above it, causing traumatic anxiety for all of us on the ground. Okay, like just really think about what your presence means, you know, like it matters if you're actually on ground level with the with the people versus hovering above them. It matters whether you are in the studio versus out in the streets, you know, getting quotes. All of those things matter when national media comes in and picks up a story from Chicago. Why is it the story of the police officer sleeping? in the office why isn't it the story of the young black girl who was hit and rolled over by a squad car we still don't know her name or her condition that is a story that should be trending nationally and we're the only outlet covering it and we barely have the support to be able to hold uh put pressure on the city and that's where these huge corporate media conglomerates could really come in instead of doing kind of like these pr segments with the mayor you know i don't want to take up too much more of either of your time because again i know we're all busy and i know we're all exhausted but some good news which what a concept right some good news for the tribe uh the outlet is among the recipients of the inaugural I, man, I always botch that word. I can type it out and then I get to it. But the first racial equity in journalism fund. And then Tiffany, uh, you were among the Field Foundation's leaders for a new Chicago. Uh, talk about these accomplishments, what they mean, how it's going to affect the tribe going forward. And congratulations to both of you for these things. Thank you. Thank you. Morgan, you want to talk about the racial equity? Um, sure. We were awarded... Um, a, a huge operational capacity grant um, from Borealis Philanthropy. And um, the grant is the really kind of like the first infusion of capital for us. When we started the tribe, we had no money. It wasn't like, oh, I'm a rich person, so I'm gonna 
buy a company now or something like that. We really worked off of sweat equity and bought our URL for two ninety nine and just you know <laughs> decided that we were gonna just go out in the streets and do it. And now we're at a point uh, three years later where people want to fund us, and we're so grateful for that. So that's what allowed us to hire. Um, v. Harrison, who wrote the story for the, the West Side House Party. That's what allowed us to hire um, Matt Harvey, who um, actually started before we even had his paperwork together because the uprisings had begun. And we were like, hey, you got to get out there today. I don't know what to tell you. So uh, those types of funds really, really came in and saved the day so that we were able to, to do this work. And, and have some support during this time. And uh, to speak to the um, new leaders, or leaders for New Chicago, I mean, I'm completely honored to um, be among that, that group of um, leaders. And, and um, yeah, I don't know, I mean, I'm still a little bit shocked. I'm still soaking it all in, <laughs> but um, I'm definitely ready to step in and, and be, you know, that leader for Chicago, especially in Chicago um, media space. So. Just really excited and um, thankful to the Field Foundation and the MacArthur Foundation for all of the support they've been giving us and the encouragement that they've been giving us too. And um, it's an honor. This, this really is an honor. She's so modest. Like <laughs> I nominated her for the award, and she's all she's like, "Are you sure, me?" Like <laughs> I'm just like, "Girl, it is your time." Like Tiffany is the engine that keeps the tribe running. She she manages everybody every single story comes across her desk we have no other editor i mean this is really her so um i mean you're amazing and you deserve it and you're from the west side and the west side west siders everywhere need to know what they can accomplish seriously it's it's an amazing amazing honor all of this is well deserved because both of you have put in the work and all of us here in chicago we've seen that we've seen you know, I, I've interviewed you guys a couple times and I've, I'm really appreciative to have had the opportunity to do that, but it's like, I've seen the tribe start where it started. And now we're in this, obviously this moment that really feels terrible on a lot of levels, but I do have to say, you're both meeting this moment. And you are telling the stories that need to be told. So, you know, almost wrapping up here, but I've been asking all my guests kind of like, admittedly, it's a somewhat impossible question. There's not a right answer, but I'm really curious, you know, based on your own knowledge, experience, just your insights, like what do you see Chicago looking like on the other side of these crises, on the other side of the moment that we're in, if you had to make some kind of prediction? I know none of us know for sure, but like, what do you think we might be in after this? Or what do you hope happens after this? That's a, that's a good question. Um... I'm personally rooting for defund the police. <laughs> Definitely rooting for the police to be uh, taken out of CPS schools, out of it, all schools, period. Um, and I would, I think that that's going to really gain some momentum around the time um, that the city starts talking about this budget. I don't know that Lightfoot is going to budge right now. Um, and I'm not sure why, because her peers that were on the CNN um, mayoral talk with her, some of them already are doing that. Cities across the country are already thinking about doing that, but um, I don't think that. I mean, for the last seven or eight years, C CPD's budget has skyrocketed, um, and I don't know that that's going to be able to continue. I don't think that 
in October, they're going to be talking about a $1.9 billion budget for CPD. I think something's going to have to emerge on that part. Um, and I think that this has also exposed the ways that government works because we've gotten a chance to watch these press conferences, think, conferences and things happen and play out every day um, on TV and on social media. And that's kind of new. I haven't really seen um, that much attention and that much focus on a government at a particular time. So I think now people have an idea of like how they can go and, and make their voices heard um, when we get back to going to things in person, which I hope is soon, because I definitely want to start going to these press conferences um, to ask these questions. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think that people have a, a, a new view of city government that we may not have had before. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm cautiously, very cautiously optimistic. Optimistic because I think that the organizers here are so intelligent, you know. I I respect them. Um and I have a, a deeper knowledge of their work. I don't know if you know this, but I've been working on a documentary called Unapologetic. About the movement for Black lives in Chicago, it's centered on the, the stories of Rekia Boyd and Laquan McDonald, how that unfolded. So it's like taking place while Lori, Lori Lightfoot is um, on the police board. So we see kind of like how organizers interact with her then, um, their feelings towards Rahm Emanuel um, Anita Alvarez and things like that. Um, but this story is told specifically through the lens of Black women organizers, um, because I don't know if people know, but the Movement for Black Lives intentionally centers Black women leaders and like queer and femme voices. So um, that's where this film is coming from. So I, I've been getting to know um, the organizers on the ground for a while. And I'm really excited for that film to be a part of the local and national and international dialogue around all of these issues. And so um, that's why I'm optimistic because I think now it's just like, no more sugarcoating it. We're dealing with our stuff, you know? <laughs> wow. I mean, we all need optimism right now. And that's, I'm, I'm hoping next year is better than this year because God, how could it get worse? You know, don't say um, that. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, we said it's in the mur murder hornets. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, before I let you both go, anything else coming up for the tribe that we can talk about? Anything else that you know is in the works for either or both of you? I want to make sure that we're we're covering everything and we're really letting everyone know about everything you guys are doing. Well, we have some new hires coming in soon, so um, we want to look out for those and some new um, programs that we're going to have coming out on our platform. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. It feels like an explosion for us. It's hard to be like, oh my gosh, everybody, we're growing right now, but it really does feel like that. Um, we have a lot of support right now. Um, we'll be hiring a lot and, 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 and just premiering a lot of new different types of programs like on YouTube, like I was speaking about earlier about 
ways to to package the news and put it on social media that you know i don't think the city has seen before i love it i think that's all really needed and Again, I can't thank you both enough for the time. I always appreciate when I get to talk to either or both of you on the podcast or off. And, you know, you both have always been great about taking time to chat with me. So thank you. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work uh, because we really need it at this moment. Tiffany Walden, Morgan Elise Johnson. The website is The Tribe with two eyes. T-H-E-T-R-I-I-B-E dot com. People can follow you on Twitter. Very active there. Thank you both for taking time this morning. I hope that a year from now we're talking and we're like, isn't everything better? <laughs> I hope so too. Thank you so much for inviting us. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, you. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the dynamic dynasty, Dynasty Descend. <laughs>